Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. This reading is for February 26th. Today I'll be reading these articles and more. Warehouse in Lincoln Park, Transforming into Music Venue by Sophie Herman. DeGette praises move to grant deferred enforced departure for Palestinians by Claire Song. And Road to the Oscars Review, Anatomy of a Fall is a Tense if Dry Legal Drama by Julie River. Warehouse in Lincoln Park, Transforming into Music Venue. On 730 North Umatilla Street in Denver sits an 18,000-square-foot warehouse that has been transformed into a stunning modern-style event center. This venue is located just below the Art District, right off of 6th Avenue and I-25. The new venue will consist of a main stage, bar, and outside area fit for festivals and fairs. It is set to host a variety of live shows featuring both established and up-and-coming DJs, comedians, musicians, and the list goes on. James McLean, who bought the space with another investor for $3.2 million in 2021, is now investing approximately $2.5 million for this awe-inspiring transformation. McLean started out his entrepreneurial career in the Denver area with an auto rental company called Awake of the Night, which was the first to turn the warehouse space into Sugar Cube, an exclusive nightclub only accessible to members and referrals. Now he wants to open it up to the general public. Denver is poised for a lot of substantial growth, and I felt like this area has a lot of value, McLean said. With the lack of residents in this area, he thinks it's a prime area for a venue with no worries of disturbing the neighborhood. Originally from Los Angeles, McLean moved to Denver 10 years ago to not only build up, but to transform his audio rental company, Awaken the Night, into a full-on sound production company. The success of his company gained some of the bigger sound projects in the Denver area, such as the Sonic Boom Festival in 2019 and Tipper Red Rocks in 2021. The aftermath of the pandemic caused businesses to come to a screeching halt, but in turn, it opened up other ideas, transforming the space into the current nightclub, Sugarcube. McLean's long-term vision wasn't to open a music venue, but there was something about the community and the area that called him up to the challenge. Being a musician, he wanted the opportunity for others to be able to spread music and art throughout their community, and this venue just might be a stepping stone in that direction. With such a versatile space, turning it into an area for the community might be in the cards. We'll have to see what the future brings us. The older I get, the more I realized that it's a combined effort we all make in making our community what we want it to be, McLean says. There's no name or set date for the opening, but it will be operated by Live Nation and is slated to open sometime next year. We can plan to see the new independent venue hosts events with a new culture of atmosphere featuring performers of all kinds. 
to get Prez's move to grant deferred enforced departure for Palestinians. Last week, the Biden administration announced plans to provide deferred enforced departure for Palestinians currently living in the United States, essentially allowing them to remain in the country for another 18 months. Representative DeGette, as well as several other concerned legislatures, describe this as a positive and necessary move in order to prevent migrants from having to return to war torn Gaza. I'm glad the Biden administration has offered these individuals such safe haven in the U.S., says DeGette. While we take this step, we must continue to advocate for this reliable and robust delivery of humanitarian aid that will save lives in Gaza. A new bilateral peace agreement is needed to end the fighting and release the remaining hostages in the short term. And a two state solution is needed in the long term to ensure an established peace is a lasting one. DeGette was one of the several U.S. representatives who submitted a letter urging the Biden administration to act late last year. The situation in Gaza has been steadily deteriorating since the attacks of October 7th. The Israeli military response sparked international debate. South Africa even summoned Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu to the International Court of Justice, accusing the nation of enacting genocide against Palestinians, including targeting areas previously designated as refugee safe zones. However, representatives of Israel claim that they took all necessary actions required to eliminate the political resistance movement Hamas. Currently, proponents of a ceasefire call attention to the dismal state of living for the remaining Palestinian population, it, announcing the U.S. provisions of DED to the Palestinian immigrants. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan described the conditions in Gaza as having significantly deteriorated. Many have also accused the Israeli government of pinkwashing, pretending to be supportive of LGBTQ minorities while simultaneously perpetrating. Numerous human rights violations. President Biden called the country's actions over the top, and his decision to allow DED for Palestinian immigrants falls in line with that. It should be noted, however, that despite Biden's supposed support of Palestinians, the United States vetoed a UN call for ceasefire in Gaza for the third time on Tuesday. The U.S. State Department also previously bypassed Congress in December in order to send over $100 million worth of munitions to Israel. Road to the Oscars Review Anatomy of a Fall is a tense, if dry, legal drama. Every year, in the time between the Oscar nominations are announced and the actual Oscar ceremony is held, OFM movie reviewer and associate editor Julie Rivers tries to watch all the movies nominated for Best Picture that year. In the years since the pandemic, this has been easier as a lot of movies are now on streaming. So far, she hasn't made it through all of the nominees since the category expanded from five nominees to as many as ten. But this year, she intends to pull it off and write reviews of each movie as she goes through them. She already saw and reviewed American fiction as part of the Denver Film Festival, and she already saw Barbie, and it was reviewed by fellow OFM writer Ivy Owens. OFM writer Owen Swallow also already reviewed Poor Things. That leaves seven movies for her to watch and review. Can she make it through all ten? Find out on OFM's Road to the Oscars. With a rating of 87 out of 100, 
In Justine Triette's French legal drama, Anatomy of a Fall, a German writer living in France named Sandra Voyer is accused of pushing her husband, Samuel, out of a window and killing him, and her blind son, Daniel. The only witness in the case gets caught in the middle of the unfolding drama. With no other suspects, the defense must prove that Samuel committed suicide, which opens up the trial to an examination of Sandra and Samuel's troubled married life. This movie was a tense legal drama, but not in the typical sense of a pulse-pounding courtroom drama. Rather, this movie opens up a lot of difficult emotions and fails to resolve them, leaving the characters and audience to sit with them throughout the entire film. While the movie follows Sandra's perspective and heavily implies her innocence, it never explicitly proves it and leaves a lot of ambiguity in the plot. Daniel's place in the legal case becomes really hard to sit with as he slowly starts to learn more about the tumultuous nature of his parents' marriage and has to grapple with these emotions. There's a great moment between Daniel and his court-appointed monitor, Marge, where Daniel has to come to terms with the fact that either his mother murdered his father or his father committed suicide, realizing that both are uncomfortable realities to face. But for all the tense emotion, it's a bit of a dry courtroom drama. Even for a highly emotional story, the performances in the courtroom are mostly restrained and understated. It makes it a bit of a difficult movie to chew on for two and a half hours. And yet, as far as pacing goes, there's nothing in this movie that I would have cut. It goes exactly where it needs to go to be able to express the emotional journey. But I could have used a more emotionally compelling courtroom drama. This marks the second Best Picture nominee film that Sandra Hewler starred in, having also played the role of Hedwig Haas in The Zone of Interest, making her the female lead in both films. It doesn't mark the first time an actor has been in two nominated films in the same year. Probably the most recent example of this was Scarlett Johansson, who, for the 92nd Oscars in 2020, was not only in two Best Picture nominated films, Marriage Society and Jojo Rabbit, she received nominations for both. She didn't win either one of them. Hewler was only nominated for Anatomy of a Fall this year, which makes sense as Zone of Interest was more about the overall feeling of the movie rather than performances or a narrative. Hewler does a great job of pulling the difficult emotions from this character, and the fact her performance is hard to watch is a sign that she was successful. Unfortunately, Hewler doesn't have much of a chance in the Best Actress category, which is predicted to be a toss-up between Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon and Emma Stone for Poor Things. The movie doesn't stand much of a chance for Best Picture, and it wasn't even submitted as a potential nominee for Best International Feature. Justin Triette is considered the least likely to win Best Director as well, which is a shame as she's the only woman nominated for that category. The one category that it stands a good chance of winning is Best Original Screenplay, where it's a slight favorite over the holdovers. Vegas Odds site Covers.com has this to say about their prediction that Anatomy of a Fall will win Best Original Screenplay, while The Holdovers has a lot of support. Anatomy of a Fall is similarly beloved, and I imagine the Academy is looking to honor it somewhere, especially after France didn't submit it for Best International Film, because I expect Giamatti and Randolph to win their respective trophies for The Holdovers. I lean toward Anatomy of a Fall here.
Personally, I prefer the holdovers to Anatomy of the Fall and would prefer to see the former take home the Oscar, but admittedly part of that is my bias towards comedies, which I often believe go underappreciated at the Oscars. But it's true that the best screenplay categories are often seen as a sort of consolation prize for movies that aren't likely to win much else. So that logic makes sense that the one will go to Anatomy of the Fall. It's not completely underserving of the honor, but I personally thought there were better movies out this year. Anatomy of a Fall is available for rent on multiple services, including Amazon Prime and Apple TV+. Duolingo under investigation for spreading LGBTQ plus propaganda. Language learning app Duolingo is under investigation in Russia for spreading LGBTQ plus propaganda in their lesson plans. Duolingo is the most popular app used to learn languages for free, with over 500 million users registered. The app has 38 different languages available to learn through inclusive lesson plans. Duolingo has intentionally and vocally been queer inclusive in its lessons. Their blog says Duolingo believes deeply in diversity and representation. This made it a no-brainer to include all types of characters of different ages, ethnic backgrounds, and sexual orientations. This prioritization of inclusivity has created characters Lynn, B, and Oscar. However, these characters are not being sensationalized as their sexual orientation is just an aspect of who they are. They make it so LGBTQ plus characters exist without specifically drawing attention to that identity according to their blog. This simple queer inclusion has incited an investigation in Russia out of the fear of the app is turning people gay. Radtel, a group whose mission it is to protect public morality, culture, and traditional values, reported Duolingo is spreading LGBTQ plus propaganda and is unfit for children to use. The app is under investigation by Russia's media regulatory authority, Roskomnadzor, the investigation will see if Duolingo breaks Article 5 of Russia's law on the protection of children from information harmful to their health and development. Russia has censored LGBTQ plus propaganda since 2013 and banned gender-affirming surgery in 2023. The Russian Supreme Court ruled that the international gay rights movement is an extremist threat, and people found spreading propaganda could face a 6- to 10-year prison sentence. Duolingo's investigation shows how censorship comes at the cost of education. The banning of books in the United States has a similar detrimental impact on learning. Censorship disregards the freedom to learn to try to uphold uniformity. Though, of course, queer people will continue to exist within and outside of Russia, even if Duolingo and other inclusive companies are illegalized. Census Bureau Trials Gender Identity and Sexuality Survey Questions the United States Census Bureau has drafted a selection of new questions about gender identity and sexual orientations. If they pass testing, they will be the first of their kind to be added to the American Community Survey. However, people have raised some concerns about the inclusiveness of three questions. An Associated Press review of 91 public comments regarding the new survey questions found that most were supportive of the new changes. Demographic research on the LGBTQ plus individuals in the United States is limited, to say the least, in a time when both anti- and pro-queer legislation runs rampant across the nation. 
This is worrying as Gary Gates, a retired demographer who previously studied LGBTQ plus populations, said the current two limited data resources stand in stark contrast to the numerous policy debates and legislative efforts focused on these populations. The Human Rights Commission estimated that upwards of 20 million adults, 5% of the total population in the U.S., identify as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. However, the American Community Survey currently only records same-sex couples who live together, only about one-sixth of the LGBTQ plus population in the U.S., entirely ignoring queer people who live alone as well as all transgender individuals. But while most agree that more inclusive questions are in order, some have concerns about the Census Bureau's proposed changes. For instance, in a question about gender identity, transgender is set as a separate category from male, female, and non-binary, seemingly ostracizing trans men and women. Other worried commenters noted that the lack of categories for intersex individuals, despite them taking up roughly 1.7% of the world's population, as many as red hair people. In addition, people who answer the American Community Survey typically fill in answers for the rest of their household as a proxy, raising questions regarding parents who are unaware of their children as queer. Several conservative lawmakers have also expressed dissatisfaction with the updated survey plans. However, they claim that the new questions would politicize the survey. The Rutherford Institute, a conservative civil liberties group, says that they would make people incredibly uncomfortable with providing such detailed private information. Sometime this year, the Census Bureau will send the proposed questions to 480,000 households intended for people ages 15 and older. Respondents can answer the questions online, by mail, over the phone, or through in-person interviews. Colorado works to pass a non-legal name bill. A new bill is currently under review in the Capitol regarding how Colorado schools should address students who wish to be called differently than their legal name. The non-legal name bill was a result of the Youth Advisory Council Review Committee and will require public and charter schools to use a student's preferred name upon the student's request. The bill aims to give these schools the discernment needed to adhere to non-discriminatory law and provide a legal definition which clarifies gender expression specifically preferred names. Schools will be expected to have written documentation for how this will be facilitated. The original bill proposed a task force to be provided to help schools build their policies around preferred names. However, the task force is expected to be amended from the proposal, raising concerns about parental and local community exclusion. A local high schooler, Kay, commented on their hopes for the bill as they headed to the Capitol themselves. I think that I'll add a step in the process of making sure youth are protected when they are asking for teachers to correctly use their name. Hopefully, other states will follow suit and increase national support for the LGBTQ plus community through the basic necessity of allowing queer youth to be properly addressed. Students should feel supported and seen in their schools. Self-naming can be vital to a person's identity, and educators should make sure to be respectful and affirming. This proposal is a step towards adding inclusivity into an area in which comfort and safety are needed to thrive. Colorado Democratic Party supports Initiative 89. 
The Colorado Democratic Party has endorsed Initiative 89, a change to the Colorado Constitution that would further protect abortion and ensure state government-issued insurance will cover this health procedure. After Roe v. Wade was overturned, there has been steady regression in reproductive health care rights across the nation. The ruling has left many without access to essential health care across the United States. Colorado has constitutionally protected the right to abortion, and Governor Jared Polis has continued to pass bills supporting reproductive and gender-affirming health care. But this is an ongoing battle, even in Colorado. Maintaining vigilance with our voices and our votes is necessary to protect our rights as Coloradoans and to uplift those in states that have lost health care rights. Health care should not be criminalized or a privilege. It should be a guarantee. Initiative 89 proposes to further protect abortion as health care and ensure insurance coverage is stating a change to the Colorado Constitution recognizing the right to abortion and in connection therewith prohibiting the state and local governments from denying, impeding, or discriminating against the exercise of that right, allowing abortion to be covered service under health care plans for Colorado state and local government employees and enrollees in state and local government insurance programs. Chair of the Colorado Democratic Party, Shad Marib, says, This issue is personal to me and my family, and I'm proud that Colorado Democrats support the right of every Coloradoan to make their own decisions about abortion without the government getting in the way. Coloradoans will make sure no politician is able to put their ideology ahead of our freedoms by supporting proposed Initiative 89 this fall. With arguments raging over birth control, gestational limits, and bodily autonomy all over our country, this election season will likely only aggravate an issue that significantly impacts all people with uteruses. Abortion is a topic that has and will continue to be used by politicians as a talking point. Bodily autonomy is an individual and personal pursuit, and government policy cannot possibly be keen on every insight on a topic that varies widely from case to case and person to person. As you head to the voting booths and send in ballots, consider the weight of this ongoing health care issue. Greece legalizes same-gender marriage. In a groundbreaking decision, Greece has become the first Christian Orthodox majority nation to legalize same-gender marriage. The new law, which was passed on Thursday, also allows same-gender couples to adopt children. The multipartisan majority of 176 out of 300 parliament members voted to legalize gay marriage in a move Prime Minister Kriakos Mitsotakis said would boldly abolish a serious inequality. This has been a hard-fought victory and one that Mitsotakis has been pushing since 2021. Greece is only the 16th nation in the European Union to legalize same-gender marriage, and perhaps more important, it is the first nation dominated by Orthodox Christianity to do so. The bill would also allow same-gender couples to adopt children, though surrogate childbirth is still off the table. And indeed, the Orthodox Church in Greece, which has a powerful political and cultural presence, has made clear their opposition to the new law. This branch of the church still firmly believes that homosexuality is a sin, and Archbishop Lyranimus went as far as to say that the legalization of same-gender marriage would corrupt the homeland's social cohesion. 
Greek citizens supporting the church held a protest rally in Athens while the final votes were being cast, marching and reading aloud Bible passages. Nevertheless, the law did pass, and LGBTQ plus advocates in Greece are overjoyed. Activist Stella Bellia says, It's a historic moment, and a lot of us weren't sure it would ever come. We have waited years for this. Hopes are high that Greece will lead a wave of other Orthodox-dominated nations to follow suit. Montenegro and Cyprus already permit same-gender unions, though marriage is still off the table for citizens of those nations. Greece has already passed legislation recognizing transgender citizens, gender identities, and completely banned conversion therapy, something nations such as the United States and United Kingdom have yet to do. Kenya has an underground queer-affirming church. In Kenya, an increasingly homophobic country, a group of queer Christians have worked together to provide a safe space for LGBTQ plus members to worship in safety. For the past decade, the Secretive Church has provided a place for community members to come together and feel welcome. Kenya's people are generally conservative and religious, viewing homosexuality as sinful. The church stated when a couple of friends came together to support each other on Sundays, watching videos of sermons and looking for other Kenyans who felt ostracized in their own religious spaces. Church operations remain discreet and unpublicized to provide safety and security. Members often find their way there via word of mouth, although occasionally some stumble upon it on social media. Prospective members are carefully reviewed to prevent any hostility or hate crimes. Members protect details about the services, as the church has already had to switch locations nine times in their ten years of operations. All of these things are done to help keep the community safe and protected. Relocation of the church is a safety precaution to uphold its secrecy. The church has faced countless attacks, such as landlords locking members out, despite rent being paid and ransacks of the building. A priest from the church, whose name has been changed for his protection, comments, I never imagined in my life as a priest I would be in a space where I would say three words that people think are conflicting, that I am black, I am gay, and I am a priest. The church has composed its own inclusive Apostles' Creed, which acknowledges women and the LGBTQ plus community. It reads as follows. We believe in one God, our Creator, the source of our being as queer and beloved children. Despite the trials and tribulations, the church has amassed over 200 members and continues to grow today. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aftersight.org or by calling 303-786-7777. Thank you again for joining us for Outfront Magazine. My name is Michael Cisneros.